artificial intelligence on the battlefield. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Byron Reese, author, futurist, and CEO of GigaOM. Welcome, Byron. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Give our audience a, a brief summary of your background, especially as it relates to AI, artificial intelligence. You know, I was born at an auspicious time, and I entered the job market right at the dawn of the internet age. And it always felt to me like it was building towards something, a crescendo of sorts. And I think that's artificial intelligence. I got very interested in the technology. I decided to specialize in it. So I wrote a book about it. I host a podcast about it. And uh, I'm still uh, every bit as excited about it. So I want to focus in on one area of artificial intelligence, and that is as it relates to um, war, right, or, or weapons. What are the current applications and uses of artificial intelligence on the battlefield today? It's a difficult question, not just because the military is shrouded in secrecy, but because it all boils down to how you want to define artificial intelligence. And there isn't a definition that is widely agreed upon, not, not even a hundred definitions that are widely agreed upon. A simple definition is artificial intelligence is something that responds to its environment. And by that standard, a landmine is artificial intelligence. It blows up if something's 50 pounds or more. But more sophisticated systems, the kind that um, make independent kill decisions, which is kind of what the debate is all wrapped up in, uh, those, all of the technology exists, and most people are building the technology, but essentially not turning it on. Like, it can all be done. There's no technical problems, but the world is still kind of wrestling with how to do that. And I, I'm afraid that a bunch of the debate around it is, I think, insincere in the sense that, you know, there's a dozen countries, give or take, that have sufficiently advanced militaries to want to master this technology. And none of them want the other 11 to have AI-enabled tools and then not have them. And so I think it's a foregone conclusion that it'll be adopted. You, the, the challenge is, unlike nuclear weapons, where proliferation has been somewhat contained, the problem boils back to that definition. If, if AI is not a thing, like a nuclear explosion, that's a thing. Like you can define that is a, a, an atomic weapon and that isn't one. But AI, you can't. So it's one big slippery slope. And so you can't just like collectively come together and say, we're not going to build these weapons. Does weaponized AI really require the design and maintenance resources of a large military, or are, are we likely to see individual terrorist cells uh, command of, of AI-powered weapons? I mean, it is unfortunate that, uh, that the, what, what you're getting at with your question is true, and that is that to the extent AI is embedded in software, um, you know, the cost of duplicating it is is very low, and and so it, as the technology is built, um, it will proliferate easily. Of course, the counter to that is that the weapons, the, the things to counter it should also exist as well, and you end up with kind of a an arms race, an AI arms race, and you do have to have a lot of resources to kind of iterate the next generation of that. The, the real challenge is 
the reason I think AI weapons will be adopted is because they'll be incrementally seen as better. So imagine, back to the landmine example, imagine somebody came to you and said, you know how a landmine blows up if anybody weighs 50 pounds? We have a new landmine that has a sensor that can make sure that there's gunpowder above it. So the person's gotta be carrying a weapon. It only explodes if somebody weighs over 50 pounds and has a weapon. And you would say, oh, I guess that's better, I run. And then they say, well, we have a better one. It's got an AI that can detect um, whether somebody's wearing a uniform or not. It's got a little camera and it can pattern match and it'll only blow up for combatants. And you'd say, oh, I guess that's a lot better. And so kind of each individual step along the way, the argument will be made that it'll protect civilians or limit civilian casualties or be defensive in nature and what have you. And, and that's how you end up getting AI weapons. And, and the real problem would be if AI, becomes, AI weaponry becomes so automated that a country can engage in warfare without political consequences because one of the gating factors that keeps countries from going to war is, you know, they're going to have constituents and family members die. If all of a sudden, you know, you, you run it all out of a facility in Western Nevada or something, then it, it makes the political consequences of going to war that much less. So what about AI based cyber weapons, viruses, worms, and other malware? Yeah, those are problems too. And, and it sounds like a bleak picture all the way around. And I really don't think it is. I'm an optimist in all of this. So it just, we're, we're in the territory of, of the things that are problematic. And, and one, one thing, for instance, is people have all these internet enabled devices, right? Uh, you plug in your microwave or, or what have you to the internet. And by and large, these are systems that are not upgradable. So when, um, problems are found in the software or in the, in the programming of those, it can be exploited and there's no way to fix it. Like there's no way to fix it. Um, so not only are, are, those, are those kinds of systems going to proliferate, but it's gonna be hard to counter them. There's, there's been this debate in, in, in code breaking for 3000 years, give or almost, about whether it's easier to make a code that can't be broken or break the unbreakable code. And it's hotly debated by people who think about such matters. And there's a similar one with artificial intelligence. Is it easier to make systems that attack like worms and viruses and all of that? Or is it easier to build things that stop attacks from happening? And that is still uh, an open question. And it is, you know, I think it was, who was it that said the price of liberty is eternal vigilance? It's like the price of AI safety is it you're always going to be iterating because there's somebody else out there doing it as well. So I mean, I'm an optimist in that uh, they're all with all these new technologies, you can always come up with scenarios that are, are very frightening. Um, and yet where we live in a world, luckily, where vastly more people want to build than destroy. We would never have been here. We would have never made it if that were not true. Vastly more people want to build than destroy. Um, and so the numbers are on the side of people who, who want to build an advanced civilization, not the very few who want to destroy it. 
So if that's the case, then and and we do want to have a better world. What are the odds of reaching a Geneva-like convention uh, agreement, uh, if you will, a Geneva convention-like agreement against the use of AI weapons? Well, low. Um, I mean, in the sense that you're back to the 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 problem of defining what those weapons are and what makes them AI weapons. If you, if a military uses AI to find and debug problems in its machinery, if it uses AI to um, treat its, triage its soldiers, if it uses AI to guide its smart weapons um, more accurately to their target, it's like AI is, is, is just another way to say, use data to make things work better. I'm afraid that's all it is. And if if we want to say, well, people can't use data to make it all work better, I don't know. And and then how do you enforce that? And then even if you did enforce it, you can get 99.5% of the way there and then just not turn it on. So, but there are probably people uh, who know all of those issues, who still work very hard to try to come up with something that we all agree to do. Like I said, unlike nuclear weapons, atomic weapons, it's just not black and white about you can do that, you can't do that. It's very clear with, and with chemical weapons, it's very clear. But with AI, it's... Well, hopefully we'll be able to figure it out. Byron Reese, author and futurist and CEO of GigaOM. If somebody wants to connect with you, Byron, maybe they want a copy of your book or uh, follow your podcast. How can they do that? I'm easy to find. My name is Byron Reese. Uh, that's me on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, ByronReese.com is my website, or you can just type my name into your search engine of choice and a dozen things will pop up. <laughs> Thanks again, Byron. And it's always a pleasure having you to join us. If somebody wants to connect with me, you guys can do that by right, just going right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. <laughs>